0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Insarro, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. COVID-19 focused attention on the lungs in a way that no other disease has in recent memory. In a new book out just this November, a pulmonologist gives an inside tour of the lungs, how they work, and then zooms out to examine the drivers of poor respiratory health not just some of the ones that we ordinarily think about, like smoking or infections, but also climate change, workplace exposure, neighborhood settings, and social determinants of health. Pulmonologist Milin Han authored Breathing Lessons, A Doctor's Guide to Lung Health, published by W.W. Norton and Company. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Han. Thank you. So this month, your book "Breathing Lessons" came out, a uh, doctor's guide to lung health. What made you decide to write this book?
1: Well, this was like I suppose many other projects, a project that was born out of the pandemic. Uh, I'm a spokesperson for the American Lung Association, and um, I uh, had the opportunity to do an episode of uh, Freakonomics early on in the uh, pandemic, and. Uh, I realized there was a huge need from the general public just to understand how the lungs even worked, uh, how COVID was potentially affecting the lungs and uh, in normal times, how do we protect ourselves and preserve respiratory health? So uh, Norton Publishing actually reached out to me after I I did the episode of Freakonomics and they uh, uh, worked with me to, uh, to develop this book. So that's how it all got started.
0: I guess one of the main things that jumped out at me, and I may have seen this stat before, but you say that half of all patients with COPD, COPD don't even realize that they have it. Why is that?
1: Well, yeah, so the estimate suggests roughly half the individuals in the U.S. who have a diagnosis of COPD are undiagnosed. Part of the problem is that, so if you think about going into that, doctor's office, what are the things that always happen? Well, you get your heart rate checked and your blood pressure checked. And often a couple of times, you know, every few years, you'll probably get your cholesterol checked and some other blood work uh, looking for other things, but there's never any kind of screening that we do for lung disease. Uh, And so uh, unfortunately, because the lungs have a lot of reserve, there can be quite a bit of damage and disease that accumulates under the surface. And uh, unless you test for it, you won't know necessarily how much damage has occurred. So I think part of the problem with diagnosis is that it's not on enough, the radar screen of enough healthcare professionals. And from a public uh, standpoint, uh, many people tend to blow off symptoms or sweep them under the rug. Um, So one of the hopes that I have with this book is to really encourage some dialogue between patients and their physicians uh, about more, more aggressively talking about what symptoms patients might have and and more aggressively testing.
0: Do patients also just learn to adapt to a lower level of breathing and they think that's normal? I've seen that happen with at least two relatives in my own family, one who's now deceased and one who is upstairs and just thought, well, I I thought everyone breathed like this. I thought it was just normal and never thought to say anything.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, if a physician only asks someone, "Are you short of breath?" and the person, for instance, always gets short of breath taking the stairs, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just quit taking the stairs, and we'll, you know, always take the elevator at work or something like that. So that that question alone is unlikely to elicit um, a, a response that's helpful. Uh, and so, you really do have to start talking to patients about. Can you do now what you used to be able to do? Or can you keep up with other individuals of the same age when you're out, you know, walking or hiking? And those are the kinds of probing questions we have to be asking to really understand uh, activity limitation, which can be an early sign of uh, lung disease. But you're absolutely right in that, well, fortunately or unfortunately, often we will accommodate uh, to, uh, to lower levels of, of, lung function, uh, and, and therefore may not bring it to anyone's attention.
0: You also discussed about what happens early on in the womb, what can be done today to protect the health of children being born now, either right before the pandemic, you know, in areas where there are wildfires, what can be done for the next generation?
1: So one of the things I talk about in the book is the fact that there are, that we have to start thinking about the lungs on a more uh, life course level. Uh, It's interesting that the lungs reach, that we reach peak lung function in early adulthood. Uh, And we are also beginning to realize that while we previously thought that many people reached uh, lung adulthood with healthy lungs there's probably a much larger proportion of the population that actually is reaching adulthood with impaired lungs but well, we don't know this because we're not testing and so one of the messages of the book is that 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 you're right that we really have to start thinking about what's going on in sort of the other two phases of development that's in the womb and, and in childhood uh, in the womb, despite the fact that babies aren't really breathing in the technical sense, uh, exposure to uh, tobacco and pollution can be just as uh, damaging. Nicotine exposure, for instance, uh, can actually cause the development of long, tortuous airways in children and babies. And those are the kinds of changes that can ultimately cause elevations in airways resistance and predispose to things like asthma and COPD. So, um, you know, uh, healthy diets for moms, good, you know, getting vaccines, uh, good prenatal care are all all gonna be uh, potentially important. During childhood, again, vaccines are important, but this is where we also start to think about things like, uh, how do we, for instance, uh, protect our kids from air pollution, starting to pay attention to um, healthy air days, unhealthy air days, maybe not sending the kids out to play on really bad days. As societies, we have to start thinking about things like where we're placing schools. Are we placing schools near freeways with lots of traffic? Uh, Interestingly, um, there's uh, also some policies that that schools can actually put into place to try to help things like anti-idling policies. We've actually started to, if if we have parents out there that have to do child pickup, uh, during the pandemic, these lines have gotten to be really long. And so, uh, you know, coming up with ways to try to um, reduce the exposure of our our children on a more systematic uh, way will be really important. You started
0: off by talking about COVID-19, and we know that the CDC and and doctors strongly recommend that pregnant women get the COVID-19 vaccination if somebody, you know, is pregnant and they get COVID-19 it's affecting their lung health. And then what does that do uh, to the fetus if they're not vaccinated?
1: You know, we don't actually have a lot of information about right now about active COVID-19 infection and, and uh, you know, fetal uh, development. We've obviously had um, quite a few women who've had COVID-19 right now during um, and, had, and have had pregnancies. Uh, I, to my knowledge, there's not a lot of data right now to suggest that COVID-19 in particular is, um, represents specific fetal toxicity. Uh, but having said that, uh, pregnancy itself is um, sort of a high risk scenario for women. We know that, for instance, uh, women who contract flu uh, during pregnancy are at greater risk for themselves. Um, and so uh, in some ways, I think that the, one of the things I'm most concerned about is sort of the vulnerability of pregnant women in general. Um, so th- that's, I think that's kind of a, that is a, a little bit of a tricky area, but um, I think the best thing to be honest would be to get, you know, get vaccinated before you're even thinking about getting pregnant. Right. Um, So that you'll be in that, you know, the healthiest state possible going, going into pregnancy.
0: Right. Um, You also discussed the role of um, occupational exposure and sort of like how you mentioned where schools are situated near highways, thinking about that and places where that already exists, say in inner cities or somebody's job might be tied to so many other factors like social determinants of health. You know, a factory worker just can't pick up and move to an office what right. what what can realistically be done about that? Oh, and since I mentioned office workers, you know, there's also mold and other allergens and you know toxic things affecting office workers. So, realistically, when it's your livelihood, what can you do?
1: Well, and no, no, uh, I don't. I, no job is going to be you know ideal, but I think it's sort of assessing the situation and trying to protect yourself within the job that you have. So if you're, you know, in construction or a more industrial job, it's, you know, going to be working with your employer to make sure they have adequate ventilation, wearing masks where appropriate. There certainly are um, aspects of the, of, of, you know, people with various occupations where wearing masks is a really important part outside of COVID of of their job. Um, There are other jobs, even things like hairdressers, perhaps that we don't, Um, think about we're trying to use more environmentally and um, less toxic um, products Um, you know and again uh, ensuring good ventilation can be helpful Uh, one of the other things that I do mention in the book is there's even some sort of common things within the office that can be toxic that we don't always think about you know cleaning up like um, printer and toner ink spills and things like that I one of the mess- I think key messages for the book is just to be a bit more conscious. So, for instance, I love to garden. I wouldn't go out to the garden and start digging my hands in the soil without gloves. But often we'll go do things like clean up a toner spill or go out and clean up the dusty garage uh, without a mask. Uh, and so we just have to be you know just as conscious of the air that we're breathing in. Well, breathing in through the nose does help to filter some of that. It's not perfect. Uh, Breathing in through your mouth is going to filter less. So I think part of it is just being conscious uh, of your environment, being careful and, um, you know, again, working with your employer within the bounds of of your job to to try to make it as safe as possible.
0: And lastly, um, I'll bring up the issue of research. You know that the amount of money spent on uh, respiratory health for research, I guess, pals in comparison to the amount of disease burden and, you know, utilization and all of that. Um, what can be done to change that?
1: Well, I think it's the reasons for this are multiple in part. There's a lot of stigma, unfortunately associated with some of the more uh, common lung conditions. This includes COPD and lung cancer, for instance, which are both associated with smoking. And unfortunately, Uh, I think there can be less sympathy sort of all the way around. Um, But I think we have to remember that there really are almost no health conditions, that are not some component of behavior, environment, genetics. So I think we have to try to move past that for, um, you know, for community well-being. Uh, And unfortunately, also, because, you know, as you pointed out, there are a lot of social disparities that impact people with um, lung problems think about, for instance, children with asthma and you know, urban environments, um, or for instance, many people with COPD actually you know, are socioeconomically disadvantaged and live in rural environments. So they're also perhaps not well positioned in many cases to advocate for themselves. Um, so uh, I, you know, one of the, my goals with the book is to try to kind of take the covers off some of these issues And, uh, you know, help us realize that if we want healthy societies and and healthy children, that we have to kind of view this uh, more globally. And it is really important that we view chronic lung conditions the same as we do chronic heart conditions, et cetera. And, you know, both fund them appropriately, um, but then also think about how we can best deliver care to people, uh, you know, where they're at with the resources they have. One of the challenges that I've had for Many of my, it was a challenge before the pandemic, but it's been more of a challenge since as many of my patients live in rural areas, they don't have good transportation and they lack internet. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, that got to be really challenging then with accessing healthcare, with getting in for services like pulmonary function testing or pulmonary rehabilitation, which is really important. So I think we um, have to start rethinking also about, about how we deliver um, healthcare to for some of these uh, patients. Is there anything
0: else I forgot to ask or that you want to mention?
1: Other than uh, asking people to go out and get the book <laughs> and read it for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's, yeah so, yeah, so the title is Breathing Lessons. It, uh, you know, it's, it's actually, it's a little bit memoir and, uh, you know, I do weave in some stories uh, about uh, you know patients I've I've cared for and things that I've sort of uh, discovered along the way while trying to make uh, understanding the lungs extremely accessible. You know, prior to this, I think much of this knowledge bizarrely has been locked away in the you know ivory towers, and only you know there's not really been a book before that's tried to explain this at the this level of detail. But I very much believe that knowledge is power. And if people and patients can understand how their lungs work, understand how lung physicians think, then they are empowered to protect themselves, to fight for themselves, to advocate for themselves uh, and their loved ones. So that's, you, know, really a goal that I had with this book is to take uh, you know, s- certain amounts of knowledge, which, you know, the, lo- the lungs have been a black box for people, I think, for far too long. And if we can demystify certain aspects of this, then I think it makes it much easier for us all to have conversations about what needs to be done.
0: I never realized really how complex of an organ it is, even though I have personal knowledge, uh, you know, until the way you described it and how it the interplay with the heart. And the, maybe you need to create a 3D print <laughs> <laughs> simulation and bring it to schools or something, because really it is, it's not, an accessible organ that people think about.
1: Well, hopefully the, the book will be the first step to do to uh, demystifying it.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. For all of us at AGMC, thanks for listening. For more about this issue, visit AGMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AGMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AGMC underscore journal. And if you like Managed Carecast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.